0: Comixology, an Amazon.com Inc. subsidiary, is a revolutionary cloud-based digital comics service with content from over 125 publishers as well as thousands of independent creators from around the world. Comixology provides an unrivaled library of comic books, graphic novels, and manga. The company's first in-class innovations include the exclusive guided-view technology which provides an immersive and cinematic reading experience and a monthly subscription service. Hello there, and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, the number one comic book podcast on AIPTcomics.com. My name is David Brooke, and I'm here to talk about comic books with my good friend Forrest. How you doing, Forrest?
1: Hello, my name is Forrest. I'm also here to talk about comics. It's about 9 30 in the morning, so maybe a little bit out of it, but I did want to start with a game before we get into the comics.
0: Ooh, a game. I have a game for
1: you. I have a game for you. Oh, boy. How much do you know about George Foreman and his children? <laughs>
0: the guy who makes the grills yes the (laughs) famous grill maker and sometimes boxer george oh yeah yeah he did boxing on the side for fun i don't know much okay so
1: i'm gonna go ahead and he has five sons okay he has five sons ten of swords five of sons yes i'm gonna read you their nicknames and then you're gonna tell me what you think their real name is okay good i like this this is a fun game his five sons are George Jr. Now that one's kind of a gimme. Okay. His name is George Jr. Yeah. His second son is Monk. Whoa. What do you think his real name is?
0: Monk. Who's the actor who plays Monk in Tony the TV Chalut. show? <laughs> I think it's Tony Shalhoub.
1: You think it is just Tony Shalhoub? Okay. <laughs> um, his oh, God. third son is his nickname is Big Wheel. What?
0: Yeah. Weird. Big wheel. Wait a minute. Okay, is his real name George? <laughs> okay, so the fourth son, his
1: nickname yeah. is Red.
0: Red, interesting.
1: And the fifth son, his nickname is Little Joey. <laughs> but their real names are all George.
0: <laughs> That's funny.
1: George Foreman named all five of his sons George.
0: Wow. So, similar to like... uh you know Warren Worthington, ar- Archangel there. Yes, yeah. Each each one has a number in their name.
1: Yeah. Yes. Wow. Uh, George Junior, George the Third, George the Fourth, George the Fifth, and George the Wow.
0: See, whenever I think of someone who has that moniker in their name, I think it's like generations, right? Like sixty years of the same name. But this guy knocked them nope, all out. This guy
1: <laughs> one yeah. go like dominoes. He also has seven daughters. Wow. That guy's busy. And I will tell you that one of their names is Georgetta. Get out. Their names are Natalia, Leola, Frida, Mishi, Georgetta, Isabella, and Courtney.
0: I wonder how old his youngest kid is. George Jr. is not
1: listed. I've got George Third here. George the Third is 37. Um, this dude is really good at boxing. Oh my god, this guy's record is 16 and
0: 0. That's the kind of boxing record you want. Just like on this show where we've had 91 episodes, no losses. Ten of Swords, Five (laughs) of Georges. This is the comic book podcast where we talk about the latest news, review the best books, have fun segments, do interviews. We do it all to recap the week and keep you connected to the industry. And this week, we're going to have a special segment on Ten of Swords. Since Ten of Swords creation number one came out, the big event, the 22-part event started this week. The most anticipated comic of the year, maybe? Yeah, I'd say so. I think that's fair. I think I think one of the reasons why Ten of Swords is so anticip- uh, so important and so anticipated is because you know H- House of X and Powers yeah. of Ten were so iconic and huge last summer. Yeah. So now we're following it up with the first big X Men event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before we get to that, we're gonna recap the biggest news of the week, and in the news, not earth shattering news, but some interesting uh, movers and shakers uh, at the top of our news, which may not be the biggest news, but. The Raised by Wolves HBO Max TV show, which is fantastic, by the way, and almost over. There's only one more episode next week. It got a comic book. And uh, this is a collaboration between HBO Max and DC Comics. And it's a free comic. It came out. It was It was not only announced uh, the same day it was announced, it was also available to download or read on um, digital platforms. I don't think it's in now physical that's format. that's taking it to the max. <laughs> Oh my god, you just reminded me of all those uh HBO Max superheroes. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared about They're gonna be in the Raised by Wolves comic. <laughs> yeah, they are. They all get murdered in the beginning. Um no they don't. <laughs> but yeah It's just a pit of their bodies at the bottom. <laughs> this is uh I don't know if I, I know you haven't dabbled in Raised by Wolves yet. I haven't, right, I'm first? waiting for yeah.
1: it to um all come out.
0: If you're unfamiliar, it's Ridley Scott's uh baby. He he's in collaboration with the writer of this comic as well. Um Who is, I'm trying to look up the name really quickly and I can't find it. Aaron Guzikowski, uh, he wrote this comic. He also writes all the episodes of the show. Ridley Scott directed the uh, pilot and I think one or two other episodes. But yeah, basically this gives you a bit of a background on these robots called necromancers that are basically like gods that float around and murder atheists on Earth. And uh, I don't think that's much of a spoiler. God, that is
1: the most Ridley Scott thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> entire life.
0: Dude, I, I just watched the uh, episode 8 and 9 two days ago, and there is some white, gunky robot uh, blood. Uh, of course, yeah. Android milk. <laughs> yeah. It, the show is getting more and more like Alien as it goes on, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but it was, it's a little, a little sad because I you're think, like, oh, come yeah. on, Ridley, come on.
1: <laughs> I mean, he's definitely pre-focused, uh, pre-de- predetermined, predestined. I don't know. Yes. we got to read the cards to figure out what I mean to say, but he's, he's pretty fixated on telling alien stories.
0: He really is. I'm curious about this news, though, because this is the first TV show, HBO Max show, DC Comics crossover into yeah. the comics realm. Mm-hmm. Do you suppose there'll be more of this happening?
1: I think that there probably will. I mean, they're going hard on the new, uh, their new deal with DC. They're renewing Harley Quinn and Doom Patrol and Young Justice. Mm -hmm. Um, at the very least. You know, HBO was a little bit, I would say, but a little bit behind the curve on superhero stuff. Yeah. Um, But they're really trying to capitalize on it now. Obviously, Watchmen did very well for them. Uh, That's maybe even tangentially superhero stuff.
0: Yeah, true. um,
1: But they definitely are very much trying to capitalize on it. I think that they've got some new people or some new creative directives in place that are pushing into this angle, which is a great time for them, Right now, when you don't have an MCU movie coming out for a year, Mm -hmm. right? To just kind of fill that void. I think that people tend to see, your consumers tend to see all superhero stuff, or certain consumers do, as the same kind of thing, the same category. Yeah. So HBO is just like, you know, maybe they're
0: even rushing things at this point to get it all out. I wonder if someone at HBO was like, hey, Aliens had lots of comics. Maybe we could do that with Raised by Wolves. Yeah,
1: that's true. That's very true. I mean, they... Yeah, they must be happy with their partnership with DC. Is what I'll say for sure. Mm,
0: mm-hmm. The book looks really good too. It has art by um, Megan Hetrick, and the artist, uh, the color artist, is Nick Filardi. So oh, they didn't they yeah. didn't skimp on this. I mean, a lot of times with these crossovers, you you see creators that you've never heard of before. So that's kind uh, of cool that they went that way.
1: Yeah, I like the cover. It's minimal yeah. and interesting and a little risque.
0: It's a dope show. You should definitely check it out when the I, I absolutely um, finale will, yeah. comes out next week. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, so, yeah, boy. <laughs> Al Ewing was um, on Empire State of Mind, the APT column, and he hinted uh, at something at the end of Empire, uh, a sword uh, centric book, because Abigail, uh, what's her name? Abigail Brand. Abigail Brand, yeah. Was revealed at the end of Empire uh, with an ex on her next uh, logo on her, her suit jacket and a new costume. And it looked like a whole new team. And then earlier this week, it was leaked yes. this cover art the, for pre- sword number one, right? Are, uh, yeah leaked. Yeah. So like everybody started talking about this and Marvel smartly the next morning uh, posted a press release that we posted on the site uh, with words from Al Ewing and Valerio Sheedy, who will be drawing this book and it's called sword number one. Mm-hmm. Do you say S.W.O.R.D. or would you say s w o r d? I say S.W.O.R.D. <laughs> yeah, S.W.O.R.D. You say S.W.O.R.D. 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 It's a, it's a Boston thing.
1: Um, the cast includes Magneto, Abigail Brand, Cable, Frenzy, Wizkid, and Fabian yeah. Cortez, as well as Manifold. And I think there's going to be some other characters too. I kind of get the impression that it might be like a mission-based rotating cast. Mm-hmm. Because there's some art in the um in the previews magazine that in- implies other characters,
0: right? And they're definitely in space too. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. They 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 basically took the creative team of their big event and just went right into a new X Men comic.
1: <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I, there's probably more buzz about the X Men comic than there ever was about Empire too. And I don't mean to say that to denigrate Empire in any way. Just to to say that the x books are really 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 popular mm-hmm. even in the midst of ewing writing immortal hulk which i think is the best comic of the decade yeah um people were like is he gonna write that moira book <laughs> oh well, yeah maybe he's mm-hmm. gonna write one of the other ones that they said mm-hmm. you know like it, it just you just can't escape it right now mm-hmm. i'm not sure that any creative at marvel marvel can escape it right now um no. and hey i'm i'm <laughs> maybe i don't want them to I don't
0: know. I'm shocked. I mean, maybe it's because of the pandemic and the gap um, where creators weren't working, but I can't believe Shidi is going straight from six-part empire into this. I mean, usually when you, when creators like Wu or, you know, Francis Wu or other big-time event artists do an event, they take like six months off or three months off because it's so much work, but he's just diving right into another book. That's crazy. Right. Um, But I'm excited for this. It's coming out in December, which is another thing that's kind of interesting because the December solicitations came out and this wasn't in them. So Mm. Marvel was clearly holding on to this to announce it at some point. I I think that they were probably just holding on to it until Ten of Swords creation was out, probably, because the previews amazing was slated for that same week. Right. Oh, yeah. And then not to get into spoilers, but there may be a connection between Ten of Swords and this book. Yeah. I mean, sword is its name. And the press release even says it. <laughs> <So. Yeah. laughs> I feel like it's okay to spoil and Marvel's like, yeah, we're going to just spoil it. But yeah. then you see people think, online going yeah. like, why are you spoiling it on me? And it's like, dude, Marvel spoiled it. Don't. And it's me.
1: totally valid, I think, to be upset about spoilers. But it's mostly on you to maintain that.
0: That's um, true. And like, why are you listening to this podcast? If you ever spoil Breaking Bad, dude, I'm going to be furious. <laughs> I, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Um, in our next bit of news, Dan Didio is teaching a course at the Kubert School. This kind of came out of left field. Um, the Kubert School sent out a press release basically saying he was um, teaching a class called From Concept to Sale. It's on October 1st. You can, anybody, I think, can take this course. It's obviously a virtual course, um, but you can register now. I'm curious if there'll be like a QA and a <laughs> and people will want to get some dirt on DC Comics or something since, you know, he was the publisher over there. Dan Didio's getting paid big bucks to talk shit. I mean, yeah, From Concept to Sale. Well, that's interesting. So basically, it's got to be like a pitch, like how to pitch,
1: maybe. Right? Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, maybe he's he's even talking about, um, you know, the publishing process and what editors are looking for and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I hope it's an inclusive view, um, mm-hmm. all inclusive view of the pitching process or the pitching and editing and publishing process.
0: I, I, you know, I've I've always been interested in these, but then again, I don't have
1: the time and I don't have the money. <laughs> They're not cheap. I know that um, some other creatives. I would say Jeff Johns was what did one recently. He did, yeah. I think Mm -hmm. it was like
0: $400 per person. Wow. Um, They're not cheap. Hey, do you remember when Hickman did a course? It wasn't through Kubert School. It was something else. Mm, Did that ever happen? I do not
1: remember that. I know that uh, David Lynch does film master classes sometimes, and
0: I thought about signing up for those. Those must be so amazing. Yeah. (laughs) For a variety of reasons. (laughs) In our next bit of news, Archie Comics has revealed... All of their books will be available on Comixology Unlimited the day they release into comic shops. Yeah, so this is probably the biggest news of the week, I would say. Yeah, this is the very first company to do this with their print materials to Mm -hmm. put them on Comixology Unlimited. And if you're unfamiliar with Comixology Unlimited, it's basically a subscription service to read a ton of books for free anytime you want.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's Amazon-owned Netflix Comics.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is really interesting. I don't know whether to categorize this, and maybe I, it's just my critical analysis brain, saying yeah. either Comixology is doing very well and mm-hmm. pushing very hard now to capture a significant part of the market. Uh, maybe maybe the pandemic has been a boon to them, people not going to comic stores and are buying and reading digital comics. Yeah. Um, or maybe they expected it to be and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know for sure, but I will say that it's there's so much activity that, over there all of a sudden. Comicsology, um, yes, they're yeah. also getting all of their Comicsology originals published through Dark Horse print right. copies, mm-hmm. um, and and they're capitalizing on this availability from Archie, um, which I have to assume is not a cheap
0: deal. I mean, yeah, Archie you'd Comics think not. have been coming out for forever. They certainly have a niche. And every Archie comic is now available on Comixology Unlimited. Right. So and
1: that's not cheap. Um, It's it's hard for me to tell which extreme it is. Mm -hmm. But I would say it's either Comixology is doing very well and expanding aggressively to capture what little of the market they don't have control over yet.
0: Right. Or they're throwing
1: lifelines.
0: I would lean towards the latter just because... Archie doesn't put out a lot of books. They only sure. put out yeah. maybe four titles a month at this point. Yeah. yeah, so they can't be raking in that much money. Although they do have fairly really popular um, properties like Sabrina, right? And they have the whole Riverdale CW stuff that's sort of linking into it to help. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a this is a bold move. I, actually, I was I was just looking at the press release on the on aipcomics.com and it says. Archie was the first publisher to go date and date with digital releases in 2010. Um, and the first to publish animated comics with Spotify, the streaming music service. Huh? I didn't even know that was the thing. Did you hear that I
1: have never thing? heard of that in my <laughs> life.
0: I, yeah, I didn't even know Spotify was at all tangentially connected to comics. Maybe just because it's so unpopular that we didn't hear about it. Um, so what this sounds like is Archie was the first to go digital. Um, just Like everybody else does now, where you can buy Marvel Comics digitally and at the store. Right. So I, in a way, they're trying to say, like, look, they're, 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 they're always revolutionary in yeah, this revolutionary. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe Comixology targeted them simply because they're a good partner for that. Right. So for $6 a month, and you get a 30-day free trial if you uh, go to Comixology.com slash Unlimited, mm-hmm. you can uh, read all the Archie comics. What if you, Forrest, a day before this news came out, spent six hundred dollars on archie back issues because you just are such an archie fan and then this (laughs) happened i did have a friend i think that bought all of the power
1: rangers comics from boom yeah and they went on sale later that week Ugh,
0: that's the worst Um, isn't it so that does
1: happen to folks I, i know some digital retailers like steam for video games they're pretty cool about being like oh this went on sale within 72 hours we'll credit you the money Oh, that's good. Um, I don't know. I mean, comics all to Amazon, so I don't know. Probably not, yeah. Yeah.
0: Moving on to the news, Marvel has unveiled their four panels that will be taking place at the 2020 New York Comic Con XMCM Comic Con Metaverse, the virtual con that's a collaboration between NYCC and MCM Comic Con. These four panels are pretty cool. There's the um, Women of Marvel panel, the Ten of Swords panel, the King in Black panel, and the Modoc panel. Uh, where uh, Patton Oswalt and um, <clears throat> excuse me Jordan Bloom will be there to talk about the the Modoc show that's going to be coming out on Hulu, and I'm sure they'll be talking about the Modoc comic that was recently solicited for December. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a great cast on that Modoc show: Amy Garcia, Ben Schwartz, and Melissa Fumero. That's I'm nice. not familiar with them. Where uh, are they from? Ben Schwartz is he voiced Sonic uh, and oh, he wow. is uh, John Ralphio on Parks and Rec. Oh, cool. And Melissa Fumero is Amy on Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
0: Oh, wow. So yeah, good, that is like, good.
1: sitcom comedian casting. Do you think Oswald will be like Modoc? Probably, right? I think probably, <laughs> yeah. But I also think, like, maybe Modoc won't be in every episode. Or that would like, be nice. Yeah. We'll see.
0: Make a special. Not a big surprise that there are two big events right now, or the one coming up as well, King and Black are going to have panels. Um, considering that. You know, Ten of Swords just started. There probably won't be too much reveals besides a few preview pages, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, probably not.
0: Uh, I think that I, I think that event is free. And they've all if I'm not God, mistaken. It looks like the blocks are
1: about half an hour, so not a yeah. ton of news. No, some art teasers.
0: Just uh, tune in here. <laughs> a couple days after, we'll tell you what happened at that con. I will painstakingly describe all of the art. This is the podcast that takes away uh, the interest of other news items because you know you can just come here and get, a, get it uh, all in one place. It's what I tell myself when I go to bed at night. <laughs> in our next bit of news, Mad Cave Studios is launching Maverick, a new YA graphic imprint starting next year, fall 2021. And they revealed four of their titles, Dave says yeah. with question
1: mark. Yes, that's right. Four of their titles nightmare and savannah world
0: class needle and thread and good game well played i gotta say i am psyched for this video game graphic novel there's not enough of those so once again i think we talked about this very recently uh because of um graphic uh, random house graphic oh yes we, we did we were just talking about quite a few publishers trying to
1: capitalize on the new YA graphic thing um, oh yeah, just like came out with one. Ryan Tellemites' influence. That's like Dave Plinky's influence. I mean, the new Dogman comic sold more. The new Dogman graphic novel, more particularly, sold more than any issue last year. So yeah. uh, this is the obvious revenue getter. This is mm-hmm. the thing that's going to move units. And as we've said before, you get to ship them to
0: comic stores and bookstores. Right. What do you think of their logo? Yeah, Sure. It's kinda of cute. It's like a little bunny rabbit. Yeah. With winking at me. <laughs> you a little cutie. You go back. You go back in your hole. Um <laughs> Yeah, Vault just came out with their own imprint too. So as I said on that show where we revealed that news, um, I feel like this is gonna water down the market at some point. Yes. If everybody's I mean, got it, four. It
1: definitely will. Yeah. Um this is American capitalism at its worst. Is <laughs> right. when we just I mean, there are what, like six Tiger King adaptations in development yeah and not even
0: one of them is named tiger king in black (laughs) hey and isn't uh that crazy woman on that isn't she on dancing with the stars she
1: is on dancing with the stars um and lord almighty the first song that they made her dance to was eye of the tiger
0: oh lord yeah and i bet people ate that up
1: did you know she has something in her cameo rules that she says specifically she will not talk about her first husband
0: Huh, that's weird. It's almost like she's hiding something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> just can't imagine how exhausting that would be all the time. Ugh,
0: yeah, I wouldn't want to be in the limelight. Yeah. But then I'm not that type of person. In the next bit of news, TKO Studios, a company that we keep saying on this show, when the hell will they tell us when their next books are coming out? It's been forever. Yeah. As revealed, their Wave 3 graphic novels for November 2020. That's right. They're coming out this year, and they're only announcing it now in the yes. end of September.
1: Yeah, I I have frustrations with this. I think that their books are good. I think that the creators that they scoop up are great. I think that the titles, Lonesome Days, Savage Nights, co-written by Steve Niles and Salvatore Simone, and The Pole, written by Steve Orlando, and Red Fork, written by Alex Packendale, all look and sound very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. I also think... I don't particularly like the style of promotion that is, and it's out right now. Mm, Right. I don't necessarily find that satisfying
0: yeah you'd rather like slowly build
1: i i don't think it needs to be extraneous to the point that it's like a year out sometimes i feel that the um solicits three months out are a little much and i feel pretty disconnected from my initial excitement by the time that the book actually comes out yeah but like a month is fine and mm-hmm. i think that we maybe view that differently because i in particular i'm like well now i want to interview these people yeah these teams or i'm interested i want to go read their other stuff and i don't have time
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but i'm also the kind of person where if i enjoy a video game i buy every other game in this series right so it's completist i think it's possible that it's just me mm-hmm. um but i do think that tko has a problem with get letting marketing with letting people know what's up that second right. wave came out i had no idea it was coming out
0: yeah it's this is a little bit better these are coming out in november and there and you can pre-order starting october 16th yeah but i I am i was surprised that they didn't start talking about it in another way like in a short in like a you know a teaser kind of way they Mm -hmm. just kind of here it is yeah i mean they have this seasons model and i think that that is great in the fact
1: that i do want all of the if it's a limited series one to 12 issues i want all the books to come out at once I don't yeah. think that they need to be bound in an OGN or anything like that. The individual issues are cool. The boxes are cool. TKO, when you read their books, it feels completely different from any sure. other comic book on the market. Yeah. I like that part. But again, I when I, I asked you, hey, did the second season of TKO come out? And you said, I think it's out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, th- it, we're just watching them figure it out in real time.
0: It is weird, like, they they all come out, and then everyone talks about it for five seconds, and then you forget for, like, nine months that they exist.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, and I don't know. I think that that's probably bad for them. It's almost
0: like they should have, like, at least two waves a year, not one wave every, you know, 14 months.
1: I I think we're still watching them get up to speed, and it's very interesting to watch a comics company that I think is doing so much right also do some things so weirdly or counterintuitively to me. Right. um it's interesting it's interesting to watch it happen in real time i'm
0: very excited about all these books and all these creative teams though are you <laughs> excited <for> steve orlando <laughs> it is yeah it's great i wonder when we interviewed him if this must have already been almost done i guess I right? would have so
1: yeah it looks like seishun uh has finished copies of all the books
0: I, you know since they all come out when they're done like they, yes. the whole thing I wonder also if like, they expect the writer to have the entire script done as well before they submit it to the artist. They probably do. Um, and there may be, be edits during that
1: process, but they probably do.
0: Are you also su- uh, <laughs> excited for Savage Dragon endorsing Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris? <laughs> it was uh, revealed by Image Comics that Savage Dragon number 253 features uh, the Savage Dragon uh, with a Biden-Harris shirt with his arms outstretched around uh, the presidential candidates, um, and he's he's uh, he's supporting them. So you should too, apparently, because we should all do what Savage Dragon does, mm-hmm. right for us. Yeah. So follow uh, <laughs> My, is my lead. immediate response was, you
1: know, Biden or Kamala Harris holding up Eric Larson's weird superhero incest comic book without vetting it actually seems kind of on par for their campaign. So <laughs> maybe maybe that will happen. I don't know. And then some intern will take the blame. I don't, do you think this actually convince anyone? Uh, no, to vote? no, 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 I, th- I don't think that this does anything for anyone, but Eric Larson.
0: Right. It's like, he wants everyone to know yes. who he's voting for, yeah. I guess. And
1: that's fine. I think that that's totally valid. Um, he's done that with previous books. Um, yeah, he did a he's pro got...
0: Obama one. Yep. yep. And he had, he had Savage Dragon punch Bush in the face. Yeah.
1: And there's some other, <laughs> some other creators are doing things like this right now as well. Um, Mike Mignola did a Hellboy where he's wearing a Biden-Harris 2020 shirt, a sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There was actually a lot of conversation around that one in particular on Twitter. I I guess, I don't know, I guess Hellboy has a big group of conservative fans. Mm. Which was seems really weird to me for a comic about a demon that fights Nazis. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah there, was, there was a lot of conversation about that one. People saying like oh you've lost your this fan yeah and that kind of stuff and um and then people saying like why are you surprised that Mignola is doing this uh, he uh, he did it for obama as well just like eric larson did he's uh, a lot of his comics are left leaning or liberal leaning and then there's a third group of people myself included saying hey remember when he defended and protected and employed a known abuser scott alley right um, so but now he's a was, hero. Yeah, and, and I did kind of dislike that too. I, I specifically tweeted out something that was like, there are a lot of people forgetting this thing that happened very recently, huh? Mm-hmm. And that yeah. has nothing to do with me not voting Democrat this year. You should vote Democrat this year. Right. But it has much more to do with like, I, I have reason to believe that Mike did this as a way of... Absolving himself or patting himself on the back, the same way we said about Eric Larson. And it's like, I don't need to retweet his picture. His low effort hellboy sketch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did find a lot of his sketches are pretty simplistic too. Yeah. That's a side note of course. Um Yeah, so would you like to see more of this or less of this? <laughs> Creators uh, slapping their uh, their vote, who they'll vote for and who, who they think you should vote for too on their covers
1: um, or, or in their art. I mean, this is going to get into a We we don't really ever get into the nitty gritty with politics on the show. And I don't really, know that yeah. we will. I do think that this year of all years it's probably really beneficial to tell people to vote and get registered to vote.
0: And yeah, in all avenues.
1: In all at possible avenues, yes. Yeah. And, and it's also like, it is your creative prerogative to to endorse whoever you want. You're right. Yeah, it is It is your right, and you should use it. I do think that voting is not the only effective thing or not the only effective praxis, um, mm-hmm. and I commend the people that are out in the streets every day, uh, just as for Breonna Taylor and, 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 and all of those issues this, this year in particular. I guess I will say at the end of the day, it's good to tell people to vote, and pressure from all avenues does make people vote. Mm-hmm. but people already know who they're going to vote for. Right. So this Savage Dragon cover, I don't think it does anything except for Eric Larson.
0: I would actually, I don't know. Is that is that macabre and awful? The Brianna Taylor thing you just brought up. Yeah. What if that was used in a political way in, in, on a comic cover? <sighs> well, I mean, it, it's delicate. <laughs> it, it is. And I think that there's
1: the commercialization of black death and black tragedy is a problem yeah um and the commercialization specifically of the mistreatment of black women is a problem uh there were a bunch of companies that put out like just Brianna Taylor on a t-shirt just it's her name right. even right and right. that didn't that amount of capitalization didn't change the incredibly awful legal verdict this week, right so I don't know, I don't think so. Yeah. And I would say that if, if someone were to do that, I would only want a black creator to do that.
0: Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah.
1: I, I, this is nothing against Eric Larson. I don't think that he has suggested he would do this or that he would do this. But I, for example, would be incredibly upset if there were a Breonna Taylor Savage Dragon cover. Mm hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminded me, actually, um, I reviewed um, Undiscovered Country this week at, at, on the site, and at the end, the back of the issue, there's a letter from the creative team about how they were donating a lot of their money to Black Lives Matter. Because the book it's, is political in, in itself, and they wanted to stand with uh, BLM. And I thought that was interesting. You don't see that very often either. Uh-huh. Um they even st- <laughs> no no offense to the creators, but it did seem weird that they listed off the number, like the amount of money they gave. But it's neither here nor there. It just it's it, tangentially it's similar in that it, it, comics can be political. And they and another point Everything though about is that, political. At the it was at the end of the book. It wasn't like plastered yeah. on the cover. Yeah. So people might even miss it, but they wanted to make a point. So I don't know. I feel like that was probably a good way to do it. Maybe.
1: I I think that that sounds better than. You know, the idea of Brianna Taylor being on a cover or
0: something like yeah, that. Yeah, because then you're like, yeah, like you said, you're like trying to make money off of yeah. something terrible, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is a terrible way to go about it. And hey, Amer- and hey,
1: capitalism makes money off of terrible things all the time. Right. Everything's terrible. There's six Tiger King adaptations in production. But we have a... <laughs> that we don't need. We have a perversive and repeated and recursive problem with capitalizing on black tragedy that has mm-hmm. to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that I would. Yeah, I, it's a hypothetical, but it's something that even in hypothetical makes me upset.
0: Oh, for sure. We can have a segment on that. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe not.
1: I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think, you know, we are two white men doing a comics podcast. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. What do yeah. we have to yeah. say? You know, I, I would probably want to get a person of color in on the show, um, which I recognize, by the way, is something that we need to do more frequently anyway mm-hmm um but yeah it's a larger con it's a larger conversation mm-hmm. um and it none of it happens in a vacuum and i think that eric larson should vote for whoever he wants well said actually i don't think that i think everyone should vote democrat this year
0: yeah well yeah if you don't want doomsday and it's pretty obvious
1: where david and i stand on this so <laughs> i don't know if you don't
0: like you. fire you know the your whole world burning down. Well, see, in here's so the thing. many ways. <laughs>
1: now I feel like now I feel like we do have to vocalize it. Yeah. Because there was a bunch of people that liked Hellboy. Yeah. That thought that those comics weren't about them.
0: Right, right.
1: So, yeah, vote them. Wear your mask. Black Lives Matter.
0: Who was um there was another Oh yeah, uh, often I I'm always shocked when when Superman fans are pro Trump. Yeah. You remember that a couple weeks ago? There was a comic book uh, shop owner saying, You guys are stupid for thinking Superman uh, wouldn't vote for Trump. And it's like, dude, what? Do you even read this book? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just insane that people can yeah, I twist.
1: Mean, it, was that um, Dean Kane got into a fight with Tom King about how he was writing Superman? Because Dean Kane oh, right. is a big yeah. anti mask mm-hmm. Trump supporter type person. Amazing. Um, you know, the, actually, what you just said is something that I wanted to talk about this week anyway, um, which up? is, I saw a tweet that said, what is your biggest red flag for a comics reader? And mm-hmm. one of them was, I like Superman, but I don't like Lois Lane. That mm-hmm. was the example. So yeah. what do you think is your biggest red flag for someone that you're like, oh, I'm not going to agree with them? Just in general? And just for
0: comics. Could yeah. be anything? Yeah. That w- and, the, and the Lois Lane one was yours? No, that's not mine. That was the oh. person that posted the question. Interesting. I'll I'll tell you mine after. Whenever anyone takes the Superman would would lock up and, you know, kill immigrants. (laughs) Oh, sure. That, which I just kind of referenced a second ago. That's probably one of the biggest ones right now, just because it's on my mind with, you know, Trump putting people in cages. But uh, I I don't know. It's it's weird because I don't, I don't, I'm not on Twitter much. So I'm, I'm not in those realms seeing people say stupid things all the time. Okay. Uh but that might be that might be mine for right now. If you go and maybe I'll think of another I mean, one. I certainly am not browsing comic skate
1: threads or yeah, websites no. or anything like that. So there probably are much worse things. I think my yeah. biggest thing is people saying Peter Parker is the only Spider Man. Bruce That's Wayne stupid. is the only Batman. Clark Kent oh is the God. only Superman. Yeah. Like because these superheroic ideas existed in abstract mm-hmm. and they're meant to um to be personal. Well, but they're also representative of bigger issues and ideas. And also all of those are white men.
0: Like, right. Yeah. So that's probably my biggest one. I think it's empowering if a character takes on the mantle and isn't white. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's more, is that not the whole point of into the spider verse, right? Anyone can wear the mask. I covered San Diego Comic Con at San Diego in two thousand nineteen and I was having dinner and this guy sat next to me and we were chatting for like an hour and everything seemed fine until he slowly revealed he was a huge Fox News guy mm. and he mm. got he got really heated about how Miles Morales it's bullshit. He shouldn't be Spider Man, he should have another name. Yeah,
1: see, exactly that. Exactly those kind of people. And they try to hide behind the like, oh, I just care about the character's identity. Right.
0: Right, which is well. What was stupid was yeah. he. He thought that the that he took over Spider Man. I mean, uh, so and I was uh, let him, and he just care. just replaced it. But but I'm, he didn't even know like he was from another universe. Yeah, he didn't know any of that. Right. He just thought that Marvel was like let's make Spider Man. Well, Spider-Man and that's, Black. Uh,
1: that's what those readers in particular do. They boil things down to one mm. issue.
0: Right, and then they don't even they don't even look into it deep enough right. to actually yeah, know. Not the, at all. The because facts.
1: Uh, there's people that think that Gwenpool is just. A female Deadpool right when her entire existence is almost lampooning the idea of Deadpool right so yeah that's a stupid one yeah I think that that is probably the biggest thing where I'm like and and hiding behind this kind of mealy mouth like I just care about the character's identity Mm -hmm. type thing or Stan Lee wrote a memo that said you know he's supposed to be a Catholic white boy right or whatever and that's fine I mean they're they're staying on spec the creators are for a certain arc or for a certain storyline or whatever i mean you should tell peter parker stories sure but also the idea of spider-man is much larger than that
0: i think it's there's more longevity too if you don't just have peter parker stories
1: right absolutely absolutely i mean it breaks I mean, away from the, is whole... the most
0: refreshing thing
1: that has it happened. is yeah
0: like It's interesting too, because like with serial storytelling, technically you shouldn't break away too far off because you want to keep that weekly, you know, Flash Gordon book going forever, right? But, you know, now that we're 60 plus years into these characters' lives, I don't think the creators, when they originally, you know, thought them up, thought that they would continue on for this long. Right. (laughs) And serial storytelling has never really lasted this long in history, right? I mean, I'm trying to think of other, I guess you could say Sherlock... But it's not like people are, you know, writing new Sherlock stories every day, whereas there's been Spider-Man stories for 60 years. So we're, like, in this new territory where you should branch out and make new spider man or spider woman or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And Superman totally would not lock up immigrants.
1: Yeah. I mean, we could,
0: <laughs> we could list
1: off those examples. We should do time, that. Right? That could be a
0: good segment where we come up with, like, three or four of those.
1: Yeah. And there's, a, there, there's larger trends, too. I'm not saying it's that specific thing that turns me off. Mm -hmm. people saying like there's a a certain type of person that says like oh i don't like leah williams Hmm. oh i also don't like Tini howard Mm -hmm. you know i don't really like kelly thompson yeah um and that's very telling as well so those aren't the only things but they're definitely there's definitely some things where i'm like
0: "Eh." it's like they're trying to come into the conversation that they don't have an um ulterior motive or yeah
1: they're trying to they're Pretending they're acting in good faith,
0: yeah. They want to convince you that Excalibur sucks, uh, but then after, (laughs) like, 10 minutes, you realize, oh, wait, they just hate women. Right, yeah. Excalibur (laughs) sucks because I didn't like euthanauts. Oh. Now it all makes sense. Yeah, right. It's a bad faith argument. It is. We have a good faith argument next segment because we're going to be talking about Ten of Swords creation number one. The new event just kicked off, and we want to recap it a little bit with minor spoilers and analyze it a little bit. Mm-hmm. To the best of our abilities, the, to the best of any human's ability to uh, re- to analyze a Jonathan Hickman written work.
1: <laughs> yeah, I will say a Jonathan Hickman and a Teenie Howard written. I mean, I, I think that you could say that X-Men and Excalibur are probably the, I, I don't, I detest the idea of saying dense or impenetrable or anything. The most yeah. demanding of your time books mm-hmm. leading into this. Um, yeah, there's these, a complexity. authors launched the event, mm-hmm. um, and then also the artist team of Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia.
0: Amazing! Grecia. Uh, the best, some of the best art in comics today, I think. Um, which is which is great because you know it only keeps getting better. We're like living in like the golden age of great comics uh, visually, especially. Yeah, I think. I
1: think that this is the golden age of comics. Yeah.
0: So let's start off with just generally. How did you feel about the book?
1: I loved it. Um, so this is also going to serve for me as our top books of the week discussion. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the only book that I listed this week was Ten of Swords Creation Number One. I read it twice. I'm I read it twice digital. I'm going to go pick up a physical copy. Yeah, I cannot stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about the implications. I it, it like immediately it's so rich and so layered. Yeah, it immediately harkens back to things that happened all the way back in House of X and Powers of Ten which I think at times have felt disconnected from the rest of Dawn of X. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of those big ideas and stuff haven't been followed up on. And there's still plenty more to follow up on like the Technarchy. But also it alludes to so much more happening in the future. Mm -hmm. And that is just so fascinating and exciting and rich. The only other book that I can think of that tells stories this rewarding
0: is Immortal Hulk. Hmm. And that's
1: high praise.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I couldn't believe how long it was. Why do you suppose they didn't split it into three issues? Because like it's it's about sixty five pages long. They could have easily done three issues of twenty two pages, right? Well, I
1: think you've got what? What do you have? How many Dawn books are there? Ten to twelve. Uh oh yeah, they got to twelve most of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So you have a lot of books pouring into this, mm-hmm. and you need to capitalize on all of them to make this kind of the cohering or catalyzing event right i think um and so you have to give a little bit of breathing room or a little bit of time to all of those different narrative threads Mm -hmm. and that i can't that's very hard to do without making it this long
0: i i i reviewed it for the site i of course loved it i gave it a nine and a half i was pondering if it deserved a 10 but i couldn't quite pull the trigger on that but some of the words i used were vast daring and tremendous Mm. to describe it yeah And I think that kind of gets at what you were just saying, like this vastness, it's very complex. But at the same time, when you reach the end and you think about it, it's also quite simple event setup.
1: It is. I think that that's like, there are so many character beats. We could talk, we could talk for as long as we've been talking, we've been recording for about 46 minutes. I could talk that long about just Apocalypse's arc through (laughs) Dawn of X to now. Mm-hmm. um and that's incredibly rich and interesting and probably very rewarding to the people that are that invested in specific characters or specific yeah. storylines and they are picking up on things that have existed in x-men comics for a very long time like saturn I. but at the same time you're right that it does all boil down to hey 10 swords and a tournament they're gonna fight <laughs> to decide the fate of the world like which in
0: a way is like wasn't that like what secret wars was about yeah yes. essentially yeah i mean it does yeah. kind
1: of all boil down to that I mean, it's the the narrative thrust has to be conflict, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And we want to see people fight each other with swords, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would be silly not to mention, uh, you should totally check out uh, X-Men Monday on Monday because mm.
1: mm-hmm.
0: Chris Hassan interviews Jordan White once again, asking your questions but also his own about this book. And I'm just going to give a slight spoiler for X-Men Monday the petrodactyl that's in the opening of the issue, we get a little more uh, insight into uh, that dinosaur and why he's in the book.
1: Awesome. And now Love I say that. that
0: because that petrodactyl's in the book for like two pages, but it's like one of a billion cool little things just interspersed throughout the whole issue. It's crazy how dense this thing is. And that includes a crazy uh, teleportation to outer space with four aliens and a giant worm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I so... I think that that's a perfect segue into the other thing that I want to say yeah, which is I tried to say this about Excalibur last week mm-hmm. part of teeny Howard's and Jonathan Hickman's writing is that you won't understand everything right that is by a, a conceit that you have to know going into them It is by design mm-hmm. sometimes it's really really cool visually like um this this group of magicians that serve Saturn 9 they go to another place. And they like disintegrate a giant alien worm.
0: <laughs> yeah, and
1: I had no idea what was going on. Right. Um, that's probably that scene is like all carried by Pepe Larraz. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I'm now I'm like, oh, I'm gonna pay attention. I'm gonna find this worm again. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> see where this is going because I have no idea yeah. what's going on. I right. think that you can say sometimes like, hey, the first event, uh, Hawks and Pox and this. You- I think it's totally valid to say I'm interested in seeing where it's going, but I'm not on board yet because I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Or because there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been explained to me. Um and and I think that that's by comparison not a lot of comics are demanding of your right, time and your you. attention. These mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Um a lot of Marvel comics, a lot of DC comics in particular are written at a lower level. Right. And that's yeah, fine, it's just but these fight comics. High concept, demanding, philosophical comics. Right, and I th- I do think I personally find value in saying
0: I'm not going to understand all of this mm-hmm. because that
1: is in essence the point.
0: Right, and it also like it expands your imagination and gets you excited totally. in certain
1: ways. Totally, and it allows for people to pick up on interesting stories in the future. Right, like you were saying, like you have to keep iterating on Peter Parker, you have to keep iterating on Spider Man.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: in ten years, when someone says. Oh, Apocalypse did this thing that mm-hmm. never got picked up on. Or actually you said before we, while we were recording that Sabretooth yeah. is still at the bottom of that hole. <laughs>
0: nobody nobody thinks about counsel. him.
1: Like that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool.
0: Also like to your point, there's a scene in this issue where someone lists, I forget who, lists off all of the enemies they have incurred right over the last uh, year. Right. Which have mostly been introduced in X-Men, the main series. And yet now there is another enemy on top of all of that. Enemies
1: at every door, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what you were just saying, too, reminded me of, like, in Hawks and Pox, the super duper far future stuff. uh, I forget how many years in the future. Wasn't it, like, 10 million years or something? Yes, yeah. That stuff still is just lingering out there with no real explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All that stuff. Yeah. which is fascinating. So I, I we haven't really talked about the specifics of this issue very much. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what has happened is Apocalypse has betrayed the Quiet Council. Um, or I yeah I he did something without permission. So he hasn't he
0: has he thinks he has good intentions. Or I he's
1: I- intentionally exploiting a loophole with regard to the three laws that are on Krakoa. Mm-hmm. For good or for ill or for his own purposes or not. And then he is subsequently towards the center of this issue betrayed because of his betrayal. The betrayer becomes the betrayed. Um, and then the, that kind of devolves into this side and and our side, Krakoa, are going to have a sword fighting tournament <laughs> to decide yeah. the fate of the world.
0: Right. I mean, it is that simple. That's the thing that, there's the beauty of it in the way. Because at the end, like, you may not understand all of it, but you do understand the central conceit of the 22 chapters this will be. Right. Yeah. Because we learned that they not only have to fight, but they have to find the 10 swords, Mm -hmm. which they listed off um, in a uh, interesting little moment where one of the villains and I think Polaris list off the swords they're going to select. But that, wait, hold on. Let me ask you a question. Uh Uh-huh. This is the scene where the villain character, one of the um, horsemen, I, I would yeah, say, is a horseman, horsemen. right? Yep. They list off characters like uh, Pogger Pog, whereas Polaris lists off swords like Maramasa bra- uh, uh, Blade and the Sword of Might and uh-huh. uh, the Skybreaker. and so-, so why is the villain naming characters and not swords? Unless Pogger Pog is, like, considered a sword? Well, that's awesome. <laughs> I hope that he is considered a sword. Like maybe they, he doesn't need a sword because he's so dangerous he is I mean, like maybe, he can go yeah may, I don't
1: know. or maybe they're saying like uh, we have a the holder of the equivalent of that sword is pogger pog
0: right he already has a, right. a, a he weapon has a sword to wield that he's going to use got it like cuz they cuz
1: they're introducing new characters
0: yeah yeah that ma- that makes sense it, I, it's confusing in that one says swords and one says characters but what you just said makes yeah total sense
1: yeah. Because as a reader, you have familiarity with the swords. Right. But you don't have familiarity with the villains. Right. So it would be really confusing if it was just
0: names back and forth. (laughs) Right, right, right. Back to your point, though. Yeah, like Apocalypse's narrative is like central. It's so compelling. Yeah. Yeah. And it is very central, yeah. And I think that that's a great... um,
1: He's a great character to have the narrative thrust be focused on,
0: because Apocalypse because we know, is incredibly yeah. story. Right, and you know he's got a plan. He's he's conniving, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we can't necessarily trust him. I mean, it but seems we to want me, to.
1: I, I could, I think, I could say pretty um, equivocally that the mm-hmm. second arc or the second villainous event is going to be Mister Sinister, mm. because all yeah, that stuff p- is kind of percolating. He's as been well. plotting. And Hellions, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 we've had and and also in Fallen Angels, which
0: mm-hmm. I mean, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I did
1: too. I intentionally forget about it sometimes. But they, but they're doing the same kind of beats that they did to build Apocalypse up to this moment with Sinister now.
0: Right, right. That's a good call. They're probably doing that. Yeah. Um, back back to like the central kind of like the structure of this book and why I think it works. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these crazy big ideas that don't make sense, but still you're interested. But at the same time, I think it's very good at zooming down very closely to a character moment. Yes, And then totally. zooming back out. Totally, yes. In and out, in and yeah. out. And, like, Pepe Larraz is one of the biggest reasons why this works. Because you're, like, instantly in the in the head of a character or you're with them emotionally. And then it can zoom right back out to this giant battlefield and then zoom right back into a character's moment. Mm-hmm. So, like... You never feel like you don't care, which is a big yeah, problem. It's, with most it's comics. not happening in
1: an abstract, right? Um, I think a specific moment you're talking about is when a character gets surprisingly stabbed, and <laughs> yeah. the reaction cuts immediately just to a close-up of one other character screaming no.
0: Right. Yes. Exactly. And it's just I, I'd love to look at the scripts because like it has to be on the page on some level, but I also wonder like if is Pepe like bringing that element to I, I think, as well. I mean, I,
1: I think Laroza and Gracia are on a whole other level with regards to visual storytelling.
0: It's worth noting, uh, Marte Gracia is, uh, was also the colorist on empire. I mean, once again, we've got creators just like going through like trials of c- a lot of work yeah. and then just diving right back into a lot yeah. more work. Like it's crazy to me. Real crucible hours. Who up? Uh... Yeah. Another uh, interesting character in this worth mentioning is, uh, sat, saturnin, saturnine, saturnine. saturnine. saturnine? saturnine. Yeah. saturnine. Um, who everyone thinks is Emma Frost, but isn't? Okay, <laughs> not difficult. I don't find. I get that, like visually, maybe um, blonde oh, who wears she white. She has a giant opal, and Emma doesn't. She's also always covered. Emma's not always yeah, covered, true. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and the other thing is, like, if it, if the character is talking about magic, it's Saturnine, right?
0: Exactly. Because Emma doesn't a know little... shit
1: about magic.
0: Or Otherworld, really. Yeah, And I think they've kind of kept Emma distant from this so far. Yes.
1: I, she, yeah, absolutely.
0: She's really only just been a a mother to the cuckoos, really, in Cable. Recently, I mean, in recent storytelling. And she hasn't been like, I mean, she's in the Quiet Council scene, I think. But um, Saturnine is, um, I did a little write-up on her uh, for the site, just to give people a little bit of a recent backstory on her from all of her appearances in Excalibur. And I dove in a little bit just to see, like, is she villain? Because in if you read Ten of Swords, you think maybe she's a bad guy. But really, she's just a protector of the other world and the multiverse. Right. And Krakoa and all the mutants that we love, they are just like ants to her in a way, because they're currently messing things up for her. And, it, and, and the, it's
1: only one of infinite universes.
0: Right, right, right. So it's kind of fascinating her her part in the story because she has this unlimited magical power in Otherworld, which is where the most of um, Ten of Swords takes place, where she can literally like, freeze everyone. She can like just make them go away. Mm-hmm. There is an amazing scene where, maybe this is too much of a spoiler, yeah. but she goes into the mind of Banshee. Yes, yeah. Who's not even in Otherworld at the moment. While two... Um, telepathic characters are needling through his mind to see what happened. So she's not only going like, and they're, so they're in like, they're in a memory and she goes into his mind, into the memory, into where they are. Like that's bonkers. The, the number of layers that she goes through and she can just pop them out of there. So they don't see what happened. It's, it's pretty cool how powerful it, she is. And I'm wondering how much of a player she'll be in it though. Cause as we keep mentioning, there's, this is all about a duel and, She's sort of like, um, who's that character in Thor Ragnarok? Uh, the Collector? No, the, um, the Jeff Goldblum character.
1: Oh, sure. He's kind of like a deity judge. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if she'll yeah. be like that, where she kind of watches over the gladiator field and just watches them fight, or if she'll have more of, a, of, a, of an impact on the story. Yeah, I mean, I think that she's kind of the, um, the judge, jury, and executioner,
1: right? Um, comparing her to the Grandmaster is probably a good call. Uh, but yeah, she's the de facto leader. Right. So if either side tries to cheat, which they will, both will try to cheat. Um, (laughs) I think that that's where her character will come in. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's interesting because it allows you to use her without overusing her. You know, she can't just like twist the fate. She can just twist the fates in her favor and, and force whichever side she wants to win. But I think because she is supposed to be impartial, Mm-hmm. That that is a good narrative trick.
0: Yeah, because if she gets caught messing around, it probably nullifies the entire duel. Right, right. Do you have a favorite sword of the Ten Swords? I've always liked Muramasa. Mm. Um, I think it has a lot more history than most of the yeah, other swords. Yeah, it's very
1: storied. I mean, it's very storied in like real life, too. Right. Yeah.
0: In my, in my write-up of the Ten Swords, I postulized if Warlock would be the staff Warlock had. The uh, <laughs> oh, the, the I space figure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam Warlock, as a joke, yeah. as a joke, because I thought maybe X Men fans would be like, "You fucking asshole!" It's so obvious what Warlock is, but then I went right into yeah. it. <laughs> um, I'm kind of interested in how the Soul Sword is, war- is used in the event. Yeah, I like magic um, a lot. Yeah, this as is a, a sword that. Yeah, magic can literally pull it out of nowhere. Um, I. I'm hoping, or not hoping, I'm curious to see if the sword is used by someone else. Mm. Since it is mm-hmm. literally pulled out of nothing from magic, maybe it could be given to someone well, else to use. That'd be interesting to me.
1: Doesn't she pull it out of
0: Limbo? Something like that, yeah. yeah. She could also, like, manufacture so, armor from it, yeah. too.
1: Um, I will say I like the narrative weight of Jean and Cyclops overseeing this moment for Kid Cable.
0: Yeah, it's a little family gathering, a little yeah. vacation. And there's some
1: <laughs> there's some acts that Cable has to do in this issue where Jean and Cyclops are standing behind him and being like, "You can do it, son."
0: Right, right, uh, that's, right. That's neat. Be the hero. It is neat. Yeah, it, it's, it continues that thread of the family yeah. uh, element that uh, Hickman keeps doing in X Men. Yeah. So overall, I think we're we're both in agreement. This is a Fantastic. amazing yeah. start. Yeah,
1: I, I you know what? I was less confused by this than I was by Hawks and Pox. Yeah. But I'm also very invested, as invested as I was in Hawks and Pox.
0: You know, I we I think we both read a lot of event books too. Yeah. And, and they're draining. Over the years, they yeah. are. And this one feels like, what I like also about this event is it doesn't require Captain America and Iron Man. Like it's on its own little side mission thing.
1: Which is totally the uh, narrative actualization. Mm-hmm. Of what Krakoa is supposed to be. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, well, But at the same time, the events will affect the entire Marvel Universe if they don't Just like Krakoa. win this duel. Yep. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So the next issue, X Factor number four, is out September 30th, this upcoming week. Mm-hmm. And then there will be three chapters after that, October 7th, and then three chapters after that, October 14th, and then two chapters on October 21st. So after next week, it's going to really speed up. Um, the events here and they will take place in all of the X Men books if you didn't know that. So, X Factor, Wolverine, X Force, Marauders, Hellions, New Mutants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. Every single one will have uh, a chapter of this. And then, X of, uh, sorry, Ten of Swords, Stasis number one, the basically this the second big, probably 60 page, I'm not sure if it's 60 pages like this one, um, event book will come out October 28th. Mm-hmm. And there will be a handbook on the 30th. So,
1: um, oh, cool. I think that that's next Wednesday. Yeah. So I think that um, if you have been confused or you want to catch up without having to reread all the Dawn of X volumes, that will probably be pretty helpful.
0: I found it easy to dive in. I haven't been keeping, I have been reading almost every X-Men book, but I haven't been keeping close tabs on every book. So I didn't feel confused when I read Ten of Swords Creation. Mm. Did you feel that way at all?
1: I mean, there were
0: definitely times where I was confused. Um, mm-hmm. But
1: you know that's my fault and not the narrative's
0: fault. I still feel like you could go in there and be like, okay, yeah. apocalypse is up to no good, yeah. of course. And so yeah, I think uh, I think we're both on board for this, and we're very excited. And I have to say, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying to you, like, I'm not sure if I'm into this yet because I don't know what the hell is gonna what it's about. Gonna be about. Yeah. So that's it for our segment on Ten of Swords recap and analysis. Next up, our top books of the week. Forest, you already went.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> um, my only top book of the week was Ten of Swords, creation number one. Um, I do want to say also that I, I like that they set this event up just by a small thing like the dissolution of the Captain Britain Corps. Mm, like, mm-hmm. oh, this happens because all the doors are unprotected. Right, S- right. Very simple reason to have and a big it, and event it makes sense. Happen, but it makes sense. Yeah. 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 So um, that's my pick. Great book. I'll probably read it again.
0: A third time. Yeah. I never. It's do that. that good. It's basically his top three book because he's read it twice. <laughs> well, he's top two already because it's read yeah. it twice. Now it's gonna be his top three. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Although I'm seeing one that you have that I wish I had read.
0: Yeah. So uh, Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy came out number issue number four. Uh, this is uh, by Jeff Lemire and Tanchi Zanjic. It's of course one of my favorite books of the year. I listed it on my one of my favorite books of the year so far. And this fourth issue is once again a visual delight just amazing use of color storytelling um, panel by panel it's it's really something and i i said this like three times on the show but i think it will be used in classes to sort of teach pace and storytelling and atmosphere there's just so many cool elements Uh, i recommend just reading my review i I get into it pretty deep with the art um, on aiptcomics.com but i will say uh, this issue is also exciting because a lot of different characters that haven't necessarily met yet all con- kind of converge on this issue and this at, by the end of the issue this moment so it just builds up really well to issue number five and it's also been months since the last issue came out so it's it's a delight to be able to read this um, highly recommend this book and then of course my number one book of the week is Ten of Swords creation number one I think we've talked enough about this but I mean if you have uh,
1: another I... thought throw it on there <laughs>
0: i just i will say you know no no disrespect to empire because i did like empire more or less no disrespect to dark knight's death metal because i've liked it for what it's trying to do but this event is just blowing almost every event i can think of out of the water with one just like yeah it's it's not only clear enough to understand you but it's very it's like you care about every character in this book and so often in comics, you just, there's a, an event or even just a regular issue where you're like, I didn't care about anyone in that. Yeah. So I, the book was a bummer. Yeah. Whereas this, it's just, it, it's like at a whole other level, especially the art too. Um, I talked in my review a lot about Gracia's art, his, uh, his color art. It's just uh, uh, unreal how good it is. So I just highly recommend checking it out, even if you're not an X-Men fan, because I don't know, it's, it's, it's exciting when, you know, there are a lot of really good indie books out there. But then a superhero book comes along, and it has like as much importance to you after you've read it as something that is deeply meaningful that's in another genre like horror or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And I think you could say that about this. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I mean very literally the only book that I think compares to this is Immortal Hulk, and mm-hmm. that I think Immortal Hulk is the best book of the decade like
0: yeah it's really something else yeah so by it's not small potatoes in our next segment top books for next week we're going to pick our number one book out next week for us what are you looking forward
1: to i'm looking forward to um images continuation of that texas blood with issue number four written by chris condon with art by jacob phillips this is a great spin on the um no country for old men style new western noir Mm -hmm. Um, and it's incredibly rich and compelling and also scary which i really like like there are times where you feel like the protagonist is in imminent danger and because it is so grounded in kind of a reality it feels much more realistic and compelling than superhero comics for example um and so i'm really really enjoying what they're doing with this it's only solicited out to issue number five so mm. I'm a little worried that they're going to try and wrap this story or this chapter up in the next two issues. Um, mm. But also, I think that given everything that they've done with the previous issues, I think that they probably can do that. I just happen to want more of that Texas blood, which is not <laughs> a bad problem to have.
0: No, it's not. No. Um, yeah, I, I, I. you know, you keep bringing this book up and I need to read it. Damn it. It's good. Damn it. My most anticipated book is uh, The Department of Truth, number one, another image comic series by James Tinian and Martin Simmons. I got to review this early, so I'm just going to read to you my spoiler-free conclusion, which was a 10 out of 10 review, which I do not give out very often. I probably give out four 10 out of 10s a year. The Department of Truth is as savvy as it is suspenseful, spine-tingling in an unnerving way, and a rare read that feels brand new once you put it down. This book is perfect for the super well-read comic fan or the sci-fi fanatic X-Files fan. Ooh, okay. Enough said, reader. Is um, this in, hey, yeah. real
1: quick, is this an Image book? Yeah, it is. Do you feel that this is what Image needs? Is this going to be the book that gets people interested in Image again?
0: Um maybe it's oh i see what you're saying yeah because there's are, there are indies out there that are just blowing you away with stories Vault, that are different. aftershock yeah yeah i would say so
1: i okay. feel like this is pushing cool.
0: the needle forward and it's more sci-fi than horror but it's still horror as well and um it makes you think and it's also poignant with pol- politics today <laughs> um i just wanted to mention the Immortal Hulk, The Threshing Place is also coming out next yes. week. I think people are going to want to dig that. It's uh, yeah. Jeff Lemire and Mike Del Mondo are taking it on the road with Hulk one shot that is well worth a read.
1: And I will say that I think the only reason we didn't talk about it this week is because I haven't read Immortal She-Hulk yet. Yeah, which was also pretty yeah. good. I'm interested in that. I
0: re- I reviewed that one too. That was that one was Al Ewing and um, John Davis Hunt. Yeah. Um, yeah, Immortal Hulk. We just Man. need more of it, and it's gonna end. <laughs>
1: I didn't really <laughs> ever feel smart enough to talk about it, to be honest.
0: I know what you mean. I did a, a top three reasons why Immortal Hulk is an instant classic, and I felt like I did that article disservice because I didn't <laughs> dig into, like, the, the Shambhala stuff and all the, like, cool, like, magic elements and the green door and all that. Uh, in our next segment, Judging by the Cover, Junior, we're going to pick our favorite cover art out next week. Forrest, what did you like?
1: Um, so I picked X-Ray Robot Number 2. This is the alternate cover by David Rubin Um, The book is written by Mike Allred, who also did a fantastic cover, if you like Allred stuff. Um, I really like David Rubin's style. It's um, expressive, and it's like a um, restrained... Why can't I think of the name of the artist?
0: Restrained? It's like a restrained version
1: of... Yeah, I think a restrained version of a is probably exactly what I mean yeah Mm -hmm. so um you've got a lot of zip tone um a lot of detailing and stuff this features a man standing on the top of the x-ray robot whose brain is in this weird sci-fi contraption another version of being built of him off to the side there's all these waveforms and dna and muscle weaves and strands and cables everywhere the coloring is incredibly rich and like stylized um i really like the way that david worked the title treatment into it as well it's like the status monitor for this giant, nasty face behind them. You, you almost might miss it. It's so small, Yeah, too. it will probably get another title treatment on top of it. Um, but I do like that he built it into the book there. David did a really... I really liked his adaptation of Beowulf, which was released oh, yeah. as right. all as one was graphic good, yeah. novel. Um, and I've been a big fan of his art since then. I love this super colorful, poppy... Um, but detailed.
0: Who's the dude in the top right?
1: I think that's the X-Ray robot. Oh, my God. You see God. how there's, like, oh, various I versions see. of him? <gasps> it's like his
0: soul or something. Yeah. Interesting. If you go to uh, the the podcast posting or if you go to aptcomics.com, you can actually see the full cover, too. My cover is Wonder Woman 1984, number one, by Robin Eisenberg. I grew up in the 80s, I guess. <laughs> I kind of grew well. I was born in '83, right? So I grew up in the '90s more right, than the sure. '80s. But I kind of like grew out of the '80s. So like the '80s is such a big part of my life. And uh, this cover is super '80s. If you look at this cover, uh, we've got one Woman in the center with this cool uh, block uh, kind of framing her. And then there's this like outer space, you know, uh, hashed lines. The the those those cups from the '80s that had like the green slash on them, that kind of going across it. If you know what I mean, and uh, just cool title treatment as well. Wonder Woman 1984. It's just rad. And then we've got obviously Wonder Woman, who's super cool looking. She's got space hair, like outer space black hair. And um, I don't know. It's 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 simple, genius. but effective. Yeah. You just took the words out of my word. I was going to say simple and just like genius in its like effectiveness. Yeah. Uh, the lines. It's not super detailed. It's like the lines are so clean and perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw recently Eisenberg did another another treatment of this uh, because it's it was so popular when it was announced a couple of months ago. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's just a bold cover. I know it's a movie tie-in comic, so I'm not sure how much the cover really matters to the book. But it's a very cover, so who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so that's it for Judging by the Cover, Junior. In our last segment, off-topic, top shelf. It's David's time. To tell you what he's into that's not comics related and it's sort of comics related. I'm cheating. Damn it. I always do that. Um, I've been watching The Boys season two and it is so good, guys. You got to check it out. I know the original comic is potentially problematic. and I think like it is not definitely that problematic. Good.
1: I think you could say that.
0: I actually went back to my parents' house a couple months ago and I pulled out the original graphic novel I bought when I was, I don't know even know how old I was at the time. And uh, it's all right. I like the art. By Robertson quite a bit, but the 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 idea of the book is being translated into a more interesting and complex and just addictive show. That's
1: kind of what you were saying about Slaughterhouse last week.
0: Was I? Yeah, oh, interesting. I
1: mean, you were saying that it it adapts Vonnegut into a more interesting mm. medium, right?
0: Yeah, it does it in a new way. Yeah. There is um, a character called Homelander, who is basically Superman but evil, and also corporate. And they're taking it in a whole disgusting, twisted way. And you just, this is a show where you love to hate the villains. Like you want them all to die. (laughs) (laughs) They're despicable. They're racist. They're just awful human beings. And you just root for the heroes who have, they're the ultimate underdogs. And uh, yeah, I uh, I was, what was I saying to Lisa? We were watching The Outsiders last night. And I was watching The Outsiders with my partner. And I was like, wait a minute, is this the same plot as the boys right now? <laughs> Where there's like, a, there's like characters on the wrong side of the tracks. The heroes are the, obviously the rich uh, soaks. And the, uh, the main characters are obviously the, the um, greasers. And there's a girl that is a, is a soak who works with the, um, the greasers to help them when they have their big brawl at the end. Have you, have you, have you seen that movie? I have not seen any of what you're talking about. Have you read the book, The Outsiders? No. Is this the vampire one? No, no, no. This is a book they forced you to read. Well, they forced me to read in, like, 93. It's about rich kids versus greaser poor kids. And they oh. uh, they bully each other. It's basically an anti-bullying.
1: Book. Oh, is this where Golden Boy is from? Pony, Pony yes.
0: Boy? Pony Boy, Pony yeah. Boy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know
1: yep, yep, that the yep. author had a meltdown about them not being gay last year. The movie? In the movie? No, she... She was saying that it's not gay. It's not gay. They're just friends. When was this? Last year on Twitter. That's my only awareness of this property. However, if you're comparing it positively to the boys, you must like the boys.
0: Yes, the boys is very good. Francis Ford Coppola directed the movie. You should watch it. It's actually got, dude. It's got every actor in it. It's got Tom Cruise. uh, Does it have Tony Shalhoub? Tony Shalhoub. Who's that? The guy that plays Monk. Oh, it doesn't have Tony Shalhoub. Well, I'm not going to watch it. So, it is terrible. Rob Lowe, Ralph Macchio, uh, Matt Dillon. I think it was Matt Dillon's first movie. Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez. I'm not going to, none of these names are Tony Shalhoub. That cast is almost as good as the one in Boys. And that's the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening. Like, subscribe, and review. We love you. Wear a mask. Talk to you next week.